there's a, a thing that happens uh, in churches, um, particularly, usually not so much after Christmas, but after Easter, that's kind of a hangover. And um, I, I could see it in the kids as they were coming up here. I don't know if they got too many chocolate bunnies this week or uh, what, but there's a lot of disorientation and um, kind of lack of energy going on there. So um, like father, like son, I guess. So um, we're up to Numbers 21, verses uh, 10 through 35. And before I read the text today, uh, Brian, uh, it's a long text. Brian pointed that out to me back there in the computer. So let me tell you a couple of things to note about this before we get going. So since about October, every Sunday has been about grumbling. One of the things they tell you in seminary that if you want to be relevant uh, to people when you preach and teach is talk about things that are eternal. Grumbling's not eternal, but it's close. And so we have been, we've been talking a lot about grumbling. And uh, so we're to the end of that. There will be no more nationwide grumbling from this point forward in the book. Not because I said that, because there just isn't any, right? There's a reason for uh, that, as we'll see as we uh, look. The other thing to note in this text is there's a lot of movement. Uh, the people of God are on the move a lot uh, in this text. And as we'll, we'll, we'll uh, unpack that a little bit more. Thirdly, time has passed and a new generation is slowly taking hold. Um, I, have, I waited until now to make this, this clear to everybody, uh, but uh, since we've been in the book of Numbers, it's been about 37 years uh, that has transpired in the people of God, maybe 38 to get us to the point where we are now. So, so Ronald Reagan was president uh, when we started this uh, uh, this. Uh, this this text. So, uh, so time has been slowly passing and a new generation is slowly taking hold. And that's one of the reasons why there's no grumbling. Uh, because these people haven't lived long enough to be disappointed. <laughs> I think that's funny. Anyway, uh, uh, and so there's, there's, they're not grumbling yet, right? Uh, well, what you'll note too before I read the text is verses 10 through 13. Repeats over and over again. They set out and camped. They set out and camped. They set out and camped. Okay, so so there's a lot of a lot of movement here and uh, a lot of repetition. And then verses 16 through 20, we'll read. Uh, and they continued and they continued and they continued and they continued. Right. And so um, uh, interspersed in between this is the the story as a couple of poems, a couple of songs. Uh, and uh, a couple of battles. And so there's a lot in this text. Uh, we're gonna, there's, there's much that we could spend our time on this morning, um, but we're going we're gonna to zero in on just a couple of these issues as we go through it. But I wanted you to see this uh, uh, as uh, kind of as an overview of what, uh, what we're doing and where we're headed. So uh, Numbers chapter 21, verses 10 through 35. Uh, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And the people of Israel set out and camped in Oboth, and they set out from Oboth and camped at Lee-Abarim in the wilderness that is opposite Moab toward the sunrise. From there, they set out and camped in the valley of Zered, and from there they set out and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore, it is said in the book of the Wars of the Lord, 
Wahab and Sapha and the valleys of the Arnon and the slope of the valleys that extends to the seat of Ar and leans to the border of Moab. And from there they continued to be air. That is the well of which the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together so that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, spring up, O well, sing to it, the well that the princes made, that the nobles of the people dug with the scepter and with their staffs. And from the wilderness, they went on to Matana and from the Matana to Nahaliel and from Nahaliel to Bamoth and from Bamoth to the valley lying in the region of Moab by the top of Pisgah that looks down on the desert. Then Israel sent messages to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the field or vineyard. We will not drink at the water of a well. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. He gathered all his people together and went out against Israel to the wilderness and came to Jehaz and fought against Israel. And Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land From the Arnon to the Jabbok, as far as to the Ammonites, for the border of the Ammonites was strong. And Israel took all these cities. And Israel settled in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon, and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand, as far as the Arnon. Therefore the ballad singers say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, let the city of Sihon be established. For fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the city of Sion. It devoured Ar of Moab and swallowed the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab. You are undone, O people of Kamosh. He has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captives to an Amorite king, Sion. So we overthrew them. Heshbon, as far as Debon, perished. And we laid waste as far as Nopha, fire spread as far as Mediba. Thus lived, thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites. And Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they captured its villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. And then they turned and went up the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edrai. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand and all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him and his sons and all his people, until he had no survivor left, and they possessed his land. Okay, Brian, you can put my, my notes back up there. So what you should see in this text is a sense of progress. The people are moving. They are getting to the place where God wants them to be. They are uh, inching closer and closer uh, to the um, uh, to the promised land. And you should get a sense of momentum here, that, that things have really changed, and that this people that uh, that God is working with here is progressing on towards the promised land. So you should you should have a sense that things are positive and they're good and they're they're moving in the right direction as the people of God get here. Now the other thing that you should note about this is that some of these names that are listed here in this wilderness of these the geographical wanderings that the people go through may be things that you've heard of before, things that you've uh, things that that stand out to you. But a lot of these names in here are probably names that you've never heard of before. And in fact, if you do the research on it, what you'll note is that most people don't know today where any of this stuff is. They just don't know. It'd be all speculation. Now I want to stop right there and say something to you because God's at work leading the people through the wilderness. Uh, in places that don't seem very important. 
And what's worse, not only does, uh, is, are these places, places in the middle of nowhere where nobody's paying attention, where there's no internet, where there's no uh, anything like that to draw a lot of attention to it, and yet, holy cow, can you believe it? God's at work in the middle of nowhere with people with no names. The only person really that's named of the people of God in here is Moses. And yet all these things are happening. God's at work. He's fulfilling his promise. He is moving these people to the promised land. And what's happening there? It's a bunch of faceless, nameless people in the middle of the wilderness where nothing's nothing's happening. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like that because that seems like a description often of my life. You get up in the morning, you make the coffee, you walk to the end of the driveway, you get the paper, you turn on the news. Well, not the news, the weather channel to figure out what am I going to wear today? And uh, you go to work, you come home, you got to do the stuff you got to do when you get home. It's that time of the year where you cut the grass. And, you know, the thing about cutting grass is you don't just cut it once, do you? You got to keep doing it. I got to trim my azaleas after they bloom for the 27th time. Same old, same old. Repeat, repeat. In a nameless, faceless universe of the wilderness. Uh, we, you know, you know, some people name their houses. I read this this week and I thought about telling Marty, you know, let's, let's get a sign, you know, from one of these Etsy shops that says, welcome to Waheb and Sufa. <laughs> and see what the neighbors think about that. Right? That, that's, that's our house. That's where we live. And that's where, you know, these lives of, you know, kind of that go unnoticed happen. And yet, in this place that we can't find on a map anymore, among this people who are nameless to us, the God of the universe has all his attention focused, and he is at work. That rebukes us. The reason why that rebukes us uh, is because it tells us that the people of God in this day and age are too much like the culture. Now you're, you know, oh, Let's, let's get off on that, you know. Let's, let's hear what Steve has, Steve has to say about that. One of the, one of the things that I know that the culture's having an, a, a terrible impact on the church is not pornography or gambling or addiction or any of that stuff. It's because we are about celebrity. It used to be that there was something that was worthwhile to 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 people to be a part of something that was bigger than themselves to be willing to be unnamed if you will to do my work and to do the thing that God had called me to do because I was a part of something that was bigger than myself but really what I'd rather do and what I'd rather be is to be famous to be well known to be a celebrity or to attach myself to someone who is well-known or a celebrity 
So that what happens to us often is, you know, rather than thinking, you know, the the what we what we really need in our culture is is better congregations or or better groupings of people, you know, that are more faithful. What we need is just better celebrities. That we can attach ourselves to. Right. And so what we see here is God's at work. He is moving his people forward. They are digging wells and and they are living life and they are making progress towards uh, the promised land. And there's not a lot of attention paid here to celebrities. The only person really among the people of God who's named here is Moses. And what do we know about Moses? He's flawed. But it doesn't stop God. It doesn't keep him from blessing his people. And it doesn't keep him from pursuing his purpose for them and moving them forward. You see, that is the, that is the great thing. That's, that is so comforting, uh, for us to, to rest in the fact that though we may be and we may live in a place that seems nameless and we may fear that we will disappear one day and no one will remember that we were here. But the fact is God was at work. He remembers us. He knows us and he is accomplishing his purpose day in, day out in the kind of anonymity and geographical, you know, nowheresville that we think we are. And that's good. And that's a place for us to rest and to take joy as as we look at this. Right. So so we should have a sense of progress that the, the progress is through a lot of places that seem like the middle of nowhere by a bunch of nameless people. The glory of God is being displayed in and through what we read in this trek from one place to the next. Life is being lived. People are are dying and people are being born and all sorts of things are, are, are going on there. And God is getting glory as he moves his people closer to the promised land. Next slide. So one of the things that you should note about this as you look at this text, and one of the things you may have missed is that that, that as the writer here in Numbers t- describes to us what's going on, we should see a fully functioning community. There's all kinds of people doing all sorts of stuff here. First of all, they're all moving. Now, now remember uh, several months ago when we were uh, talking about the tabernacle, that there were all those 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 people that their job was to pick up this one stick and carry it. You remember that? Right? So so here it is, these hundreds of thousands of people getting with the program, going where they need to do, and everybody's got a job to do. They got stuff to do. They're participating in this, right? So so there's there's all sorts of, of, of folks at work here. There are poets and singers at work. Their art is being made. As, as the people of God experience the faithfulness and the love of God in the mundane day in and day out uh, occurrences that are going, that going on there, people are responding to that by writing songs and, and writing poetry, right? One of the things that makes this, this text stand out even more is, uh, not only are, is, is, are they moving and people are working, not only are, uh, is art being created, but the rich and the upper class are doing manual labor. Nobles and princes are digging wells. And they write a poem about it. I mean, spring up a well, sing to it, the well that the princes made, that the nobles, that the peoples dug, right? So so one of the things that we see here is 
that there is no pride here in, in the sense of, well, that's beneath me. Because I belong to God, because he has redeemed me, because he has called me to be a part of his people, uh, as we are progressing toward this thing that he has for us, I will participate. I will use what I have and who I am to bless the people of God and to see to it that I'm participating in the purpose of God to get us where we need to go. They're soldiers. Now, you may you may hear that, and for some of us, that may make us glad that there are soldiers in this. For some of us, it may make us upset that there's conflict and there are battles that are going to be fought uh, in this. This this text is not as difficult as, as some others because in both of these cases where we see battles going on here, they're going on in self-defense, right? Uh, uh, they they ask to go through, and, and when not only do, do the kings say you can't go through, they come out and attack them, right? And so God gives them... Uh, God gives them victory in in the middle of this, that he helps the, the people achieve this. And what, what, one of the things that we forget and one of the things that uh, we don't like to think about very much in terms of, of the narrative of the scripture, but the narrative of the Bible is a narrative of conflict, unremitting conflict. And we should be grateful that there's conflict. Uh, there was conflict uh, in the Garden of Eden, there's conflict as we read in heaven, right? So, so the fact is, one of the things that we have to see about our God is, is that, that He is at work in this conflict on our behalf. These people, these, these Sihon and Og are trying to prevent the people of God from achieving what it is that God has for them. They, they are trying to prevent the people of God from experiencing the fruition of the promise of God, right? And, and not only that, if, if these people, the, the, uh, these Amorites, uh, are victorious, what's gonna happen to the purpose of God? Is Jesus ever gonna get here? So it's, it's challenging, isn't it? Um, so God is at work, and one of the ways that we see Him at work here is, he is winning victories on behalf of his people. Um, he is fighting on their behalf uh, in ways that we probably can't even imagine. Uh, I have a son who's a soldier, uh, and uh, he um, uh, he was telling me this week about one of the things that he has discovered uh, about being a soldier, being an infantry soldier, and in combat, um, in our military, there is an airplane that we use called a warthog. It's called a warthog because it's really unattractive. It, it, it doesn't, it, honestly, if you look at it, it doesn't look like it should fly, right? So, uh, and it doesn't fly very well, frankly. It's, it's, one, it's, I think it might be the slowest fighter aircraft that the Air Force has. Uh, it was so, uh, uh, ugly and slow that, I don't know, there was a time 10 or so years ago where they thought they were going to get rid of it, but they haven't gotten rid of it. And one of the reasons why they haven't gotten rid of it, it's really just a flying gun that uh, when people are opposing American soldiers in the field, uh, you don't even have to use this thing to shoot at anybody. You just have to fly it over the battlefield and those guys run and hide. They don't because the sound is so deafening and so terrifying that this thing just flies over that you don't even have to shoot. They just they just hide. Right. Um, 
that's a pretty powerful thing to think about. And so he was excited because he was telling me, I'm like, I can't stand the sound of those things. And he's like, it's very comforting to me. I love the sound of that plane. That means I'm defended and I'm protected and I can maneuver and I can complete the mission. Right? It's hard for us to think about this. And it's, you know, certainly there would never be any need for soldiers anywhere in the world if there wasn't sin in the world, if the world wasn't fallen. Just like there wouldn't be any need to be doc- have doctors in the world if there wasn't sin in the world, right? So as we, as we look at this, one of the things that we have to see is that God will not allow anybody or anything to prevent his people from getting to the promised land. He will see them through to the end. And that's a great thing that we see here. And then, and the, and these people are experiencing that for the first time. They're, they're, they're learning what it means to follow God, even to follow God into places where it is risky and it is hard and it is difficult. And they are meeting with opposition as they do that, right? So we should, we should see this as a, as a fully functioning uh, community. They're even diplomats. There's even a State Department that goes and, and bargains with, uh, uh, with these kings, and there are spies. Now, the thing about the spies should, should cause us a little bit of alarm because the last time we read about Moses sending out spies, it didn't go so well, did it? Ten of the spies came back and said, oh, we can't go there because they'll undo us. Two of the spies said, yeah, we could take it. Well, this time the spies come back with whatever information they need and the people proceed, right? So, so one of the things that you have to see about this is that, that God is building a people here, a congregation, a group of people that is functioning where he is getting a lot of glory, where his, his purpose is progressing through the people, and they are all in this together. They are doing this as one uh, body belonging to having been redeemed from slavery and from bondage by this great God, right? But there's something else that makes this text stand out, and that is singing. Singing, and especially singing and not grumbling, right? Now, that's, that should stand out to you as something that's different from this passage, because at every point, at every place, as the, as the people of God have gone through this thing, what happens? They, they grumble, right? They get upset. We're not going to have any water. The food stinks, you know. These people are going to kill us, whatever. So, so whatever happens is there's not a lot of singing. In fact, the only, the, they, they sing, as, we, as we'll see. Go ahead, Brian. Um, that, that God is providing water and victory so the people sing. The first generation of people, back in Exodus 15, when, when God led them through the, the, uh, uh, through the sea and, and uh, the Egyptians who were pursuing them were destroyed there, they sang a song. There hasn't been a lot of singing in the last 37, 38 years. A lot of grumbling, a lot of complaining, a lot of disappointment, a lot of fear. But now all of a sudden what's happening is, is that the people are, are, are singing. Now, one of the things that I want you to, to see about this is, is that grumbling is irreconcilable with singing. Now, lament, singing sad songs, crying out to God in the sense that 
God, would you fully get your glory in redeeming this situation or undoing this situation or or changing something or 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 bringing about justice in a particular situation, something like that. Those that that's that's not grumbling. That's lament. And that's that there's there, there's there's a there's a world of difference between those things, because grumbling feels sorry for itself while singing delights in what God has given and what he has promised to give. And so we cry out to God, we give him praise, we give him glory when he brings us water or he gives a, wins a big victory or he does something profound, he heals someone or, or he does something like that. And at the same time, we sing sad songs when we want God or we need God to do something to heal us, to, to change us or, or because we, we feel some sort of loss or something like that. There's a difference, you see, between grumbling, a grumbling people and a singing people. And what we see here, one of the ways you can tell that the, that the, these people are alive to the work of God, that they are alive to the grace of God, that they are alive to the work that God is doing for them is they sing. They sing. And, and these songs are, are, uh, are, are, are given to us. You know, we, we read these words and we think, wow, that is a really weird song to sing, right? I mean, all this, come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sion be established. We, we read that and we think, wow, that is, that is so unusual. But this is one of the things that marks the people of God. If you want to understand the movement of God throughout history uh, in, in churches and in nations and among people, look at the songs they sing. Look at how they sing. That is a, it's, a, it's a very profound and, and, and revealing thing to how these people were seeing what God was doing and how they were responding to it, right? That's a big thing. That's important. And that's, that's something that we miss because we, we forget the power of the people of God singing about the glory of God, singing about the goodness of God, and singing about God to get more glory in what he does in and among his people. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty powerful thing. And I, and I think it's not, this, this should jump off the text at us because since October, all we've seen is grumbling. And now we see singing. Something's changed. The people of God see the work of God. They see his faithfulness and they understand that. And that is, that is reorienting and changing the way that they live. They're still in the wilderness. They still have battles to fight. They still have many, many difficulties. And yet, as God provides day by day, step by step, they sing. Next slide. One of the things that's important for us to see about this is, is that God places a lot of value in his people singing together, right? And that's the thing here that's important to understand. This is not karaoke, Okay, that we're talking about here. This is not, you know, uh, this is not a very good song, but it's a great showcase for my voice, right? Uh, it's, 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 it's not that. It's not, uh, it's not singing in the shower. Matt Wilkes, do you sing in the shower? Wait a minute. Amy Caroline, does he sing in the shower? No, I didn't think so. That's good. But he sings in church. You see, what, what, what happens here is for us, uh, there's something powerful and profound when the people of God gather together for us between 9 and 12 
on a Sunday morning and we come in here with all of our baggage and our burdens and our angers and our disappointments and our broken relationships and our broken hearts uh, and all of that and our conflicts with one another when the Democrats and the Republicans and the uh, the Hokies and the Wahoos and the whatever's we, you know, the sublime conflict and the stupid conflicts, right? What, whichever ones uh, you want to see, but with one voice... With one focus, we see the cross of Christ and we together across all of our differences give him glory. And we sing the truth of the gospel together. There's something powerful and profound about that. And, and that's something we, we tend to think of that as kind of a secondary element. And yet you, one of the things that God is preparing you for for eternity is not just to have a great garden in the new heavens and the new earth and hit a hole in one every time you drive a golf ball or have a hit a hundred percent of your free throws or whatever your what you know solve uh, all the equations in the world or that kind of stuff. One of the things that we know that we'll do in the new heavens and the new earth is we'll sing and we'll sing together. And what a powerful and profound thing it'll be when we do that. Revelation 5, 9 tells us, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then Revelation 14, 13, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. You see, the gospel transforms us from sinners who grumble to sinners who sing. The love of God for us, the the, the work of Jesus Christ for us, the atoning sacrifice, the, the empty tomb, those things change our orientation and give us music. The gospel is not just propositional. It is that. But it is artistically beautiful. It is attractive. And we give expression to that by our united voices together when we sing. Now, let me say two things about that. One is, I cannot stand it. <laughs> Pet peeve, opening the heart here, get a, get a little look in here. When I'm at a church and the people up front start haranguing me about singing, Because I'm like, listen, if the gospel is not enough to make me sing, you're not. (laughs) Okay, window into the heart there, right? Okay. Or like when when people get up front and they start preaching, they're like, how come you're not saying amen? Well, that's not your fault. (laughs) Maybe I haven't said anything worth amening yet, right? So so I I just think that's dumb. The the fact of the matter is... uh, If the Spirit of God is pressing upon his people, his glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ, the people will sing and they'll sing together. That's one. The second thing is, and I I want you to understand this uh, as well. Um, You know, it is a hard thing to evaluate what happens here at 9 and 1030 every Sunday. Now, it may not be hard for you because, you know, I see the mental uh, uh, scorecards going up across the room all the time. 
Wow, that point was a 9.8 out of 10. That point, 0.6. Do better, right? Uh, I like that song. I don't like that song. I like that music team. I don't like that music team. Whatever, Whatever your deal is. You know what? Isn't it great that God gets glory in the midst of that anyway? If we ever, as a staff and leadership of the church, evaluate what happens here on a Sunday morning, you know the, the, the one way that we evaluate it? It's not whether the sound system worked. It's not whether the sermon was any good. It's not whether the, the, the musicianship was stellar. It's did the people sing? Did the people sing? Did the people sing? Now, why is that? Because of this. Because the gospel, we know, one of the ways that we know God is at work is he takes people who are by nature and by um, bent grumblers and he makes them singers. It's a powerful thing, right? Uh, And it's something worth uh, our thinking about that in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of living this life that is hard and often where I am often (laughs) invisible, that the work of God, the provision of God gives music to my soul that I share together with my brothers and sisters.